This is Design Matters with Debbie Millman from designobserver.com. On this program, Debbie Millman talks with Emily Oberman about working for Tibor Kalman, starting a studio with Bonnie Siegler, and now working for Pentagram. Also, what motivates her? Fear has always been a really good motivating factor for me. It's kind of been a driving force in my life. It gets me out of bed in the morning and it helps me go to sleep at night. (laughs) Because I'm afraid that if I'm too tired, I won't do well the next day. Here's Debbie Millman. Chances are you've seen Emily Oberman's design work. Oberman has worked for This American Life, Orbitz, and Lucky Magazine. She's worked for MTV, VH1, and HBO. And for the past 18 years, she's designed the title sequences for Saturday Night Live. Oberman did all this while at number 17, which closed one year ago this month after an 18-year run. Soon after, Oberman became a partner at Pentagram, the global mega firm. She became partner number 19. Emily Oberman, welcome to Design Matters. Thank you. I first interviewed you on Design Matters on August 12, 2005. It was during my very first season of the show when my sound was terrible and I didn't know what I was doing. Thank you so much for coming back. I don't remember the sound being terrible, and you certainly seemed like you knew what you were doing. (laughs) Nah. But so much has happened since we last spoke on the air. In fact, I think almost your whole life is different. You moved from Manhattan to Brooklyn. You gave birth to twins, Harry and Eli, in 2009. And as I mentioned in your introduction, exactly one year ago, you became a partner at Pentagram. What on earth is going on with you astrologically? (laughs) Clearly everything. (laughs) Yeah, everything has changed and I think that's good. When you first told me you were considering joining Pentagram, you told me something that I thought was really powerful. You stated that deep down, a part of you always hoped that your career would be in three parts. First with Tibor Kalman at Emmon Company, second with Bonnie Siegler at number 17, and third with Pentagram. And this has all manifested rather remarkably. Can you talk about this sense that you had? It seems a little magical. I think that is a little magical. I think the truth of the matter is I wouldn't have thought that I wanted my career to manifest itself in three parts until I was already on my way to part three. Like when I was with Tibor at Emmon Company, it was the most wonderful place in the world to be. And I wasn't thinking what's next the whole time I was there and certainly not at number 17. Number 17 was one of the great loves of my life. And the partnership that I had with Bonnie was just fantastic and inspiring and great. But then when the pentagram thing became something that was a possibility, it occurred to me that it was nice to have a third act. I want to talk to you about the arc of this transition that you've taken with your career because each section is so fascinating. Um, And I want to start way back when with Tibor. You were his longest-running employee. You worked with him more than anyone else except Myra Kelman, his wife. In our previous episode, you talked quite a bit about working with him. Today, I'd really like to ask you about his influence on you and on design culture all these years later. Why do you think he's still so influential and revered in our business? Because he was 
smart and challenged the norm uh, because he tried to see things differently, because he was a mouthpiece for seeing things differently, because he was a passionate fellow about the things that he felt needed to change or needed to be different, because he was funny. He He's just become, like his way of thinking has become a way of thinking that just exists in the design world. And for me, it still influences everything that I do, and sometimes in a good way and sometimes in a bad way, because sometimes, for instance, you have a good idea and it's your first idea, but I still, because of the way Tibor worked and the way I worked when I was with Tibor, sort of feel the need to run the gamut of other ideas before I know that the first idea was the best idea, and sometimes that's just exhausting. Um, it sounds like, it. like sometimes I feel like I there's torture in getting to the right idea, even if the right idea comes easily. And there is a certain part of me that thinks, well, I've been doing this for a while now. The, a good idea probably should come easily. But I still feel like I need to go through the paces to make sure that it is a good idea. Now, I'm assuming that when you say that he still influences you daily, both good and bad, you just articulated the bad. I did. <laughs> just wanted to make sure. What would you say is his biggest, most positive influence? Same thing. <laughs> really. It's the same thing. I, I think that I try to get all the way to a good idea, and I'm not satisfied till I know it's a good idea. So what made you decide to go ahead and start your own company then? What made you decide to leave Chapter 1 and go into Chapter 2? Time, change, Bonnie. I'd been with Tibor for a long time, and Bonnie and I had been friends for a long time and always thought that that was something that we would we would do. And there just came a moment when I think for all of us, it was clear that it was time for a change. While you were at number 17, you created the ubiquitous launch campaign for Jane. You helped Condé Nast invent Lucky Magazine. You worked on HBO's Sex and the City, Glamour Magazine, Identities for the Mercer Hotel, the Maritime Hotel, and restaurants including Vong and the Spice Market. Um, you also collaborated with author Stephen Dubner on the deluxe illustrated edition of Super Freakonomics, and you co-founded Very Short List. Did you and Bonnie have a business plan? Did you go into your business thinking there was a very specific type of client that you wanted? You wanted to work in entertainment. You wanted to work in media, um, film, culture. Or was it something that ultimately happened because of your just shared interests? Uh, we did not have a business plan. We did not have any plan except that we knew we wanted to do good work for smart people for products that we liked. So you just did it. You just held hands, you jumped, and yes, you started. Exactly. The closest thing we had to a business plan was that we didn't ever take out a loan. We never owed anyone anything in order to start our business. Plus, we started in Bonnie's living room, so we didn't have any overhead. And we did that for a while with some, some real clients. And then we were able to get a space and and then sort of go from there. And I, I have to say, it just sort of all, it just sort of all happened. It wasn't like there was a specific 
oh, we're going to do this for this amount of time, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. It wasn't, it wasn't that. It was just kind of like, here's the work that we need to do. How can we do this? Oh, now we need a little bit more space. Let's get, go find some more space. It just, it just evolved. So, Emily, in talking about your approach to design in an article about you in Fast Company, you stated that you believe that the idea is the most important part of the design process. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what that means? Sure. But I, I do think that. But I also don't think that that thinking is unique to me. I think that most good design that you see, design that makes it out there, has an idea behind it and that those designers have become savvy enough to know that it is the idea that starts something off and makes something good. It's not just about making something pretty. I think there probably was a time when, when like, I think that's that's part of what's great about what Tibor did, was that I think he forced the issue of idea. And that's why it's sort of ingrained in me. But I also think he forced it hard enough that it's ingrained in a lot of people now. And I think that that's becoming the norm. The article was part of a series of pieces that came out when you first joined Pentagram. And this was one of the articles talking about how and why. Um, what made you decide to to join Pentagram? I mean, not that anybody wouldn't want necessarily to go to Pentagram, but what made you decide to take this next big leap? Change and time. The same answer that is why we started number 17 is the same answer for why we ended number 17. Like, it was just time. And around the same time, this opportunity presented itself. And it seemed to me like... In the world of third acts, it's a pretty good one. Yeah. Um, were, you, were you nervous? Were you scared? Do you did you do you worry about having to prove yourself? Yes, I was nervous, but probably in a good way. You know that fear has always been a really good motivating factor for me. It's kind of been a driving force in my life, and being nervous about something or being worried gets me out of bed in the morning and it helps me go to sleep at night because <laughs> I'm afraid that if I'm too tired, I won't do well the next day. So I think it's a it's a healthy kind of fear. So you're also doing all of these brand new things that you've never done before. At the same time, you're in an entirely new environment. You just created your first video for the band, They Might Be Giants, which is an infectious, joyous piece titled The Alphabet of Nations. What is it like to be doing all of these new things while you're in a brand new thing? It's it's exciting. It's also daunting. It's also, you know, sometimes I, I have to sort of like stop and breathe. The They Might Be Giants thing was just thrilling to me because I've been a fan for so long. And to have them call me. Now, granted, they called me because they work with my husband a lot. And he was like, hey, you know, it would be good for this, my wife. So, um, but... To do it and to work with them and to collaborate with them on something. And it's a kid's video, so it's really fun little ditty um, where the whole song is just literally country names. And you crowdsourced images of children from around the world. That was actually the idea behind the whole video. John Flansburg, one of the Johns, that was his original idea was that this whole thing would be crowdsourced and that they would use their sort of the internets to gather images from their fans or people from all around the world in all of these countries. And 
it had just a good spirit to it and a liveliness that was really exciting. And working with John on it was wonderful because he's so smart about them, about They Might Be Giants. He knows his his brand so well, and he's smart, and he's funny, and he's keen, and he's interested in pushing it further. Like he would say, I know this is a kid's video, but let's not make it look like a kid's video. Let's make it, you know, look more grown up. And like, and so there was him sort of pushing us to take it to another level. And it was really exciting. And it was, you know, there was no money and just a little bit of time. And it was fun to work on and sort of figure out ways to do things for you know, on a shoestring. And so it ended up being a very, you know, type heavy thing, which is great because they're all names and it just in the alphabet. And also my kids know at least 26 countries in the world by heart and can sing the song. And it's really charming. So you also designed the branding and a commercial for a product called Ablixa, which is actually a fictional depression drug in Steven Soderbergh's new film, Side Effects. I'm going to need to correct you and say that it's an anti-depression drug. <laughs> Good to know. Very different. Very different. Very different thing. Very different. So in the film, Rooney Mara plays Emily Taylor. She is a depressive who is prescribed Blixa by Jude Law's Dr. Jonathan Banks. And this fictional drug plays a very pivotal role in the film. So you and your team developed a program that has all the hallmarks of a big pharma branding project, including a scarily upbeat logo that appears everywhere in the film, packaging, marketing literature, a website, promotional items like mugs and pens, and a commercial for the drug which you narrated yourself. Pentagram's New York office even appears in the film as Rooney Mara's workplace, where her character, Emily, sits at Emily Oberman's desk. What was this experience like for you? It was pretty meta. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, it was pretty meta. Like, I I even, when I met Rooney Mara, she her character's hair color is not not dissimilar to my hair color. And so, and the funny thing is, the person who wrote the movie is a good friend of mine, someone I've known for years and years and years, uh, a man named Scott Burns, who has written many great films. And he happened to write a movie about a depressed woman who was a graphic designer with sort of reddish hair, who then they cast Pentagram to be her office. And <laughs> I just had this moment where I thought, what are you saying, Scott? What? And he was sort of like, oh, it hadn't even really, hadn't really occurred to me. Um, but the the beauty of the project, besides that there were a couple of days where Jude Law and Rooney Mara were hanging around our office, was this opportunity to do this product design for the movie, which was really exciting to me. Like to design, to get to design a fake antidepressant that has to have all the hallmarks of a real antidepressant is like a it's a kind of tough thing to do to sort of put yourself in the skin of a project that I would probably never get asked to do even or or do and try to do it in a way that was without irony but ended up sort of having irony 
and then to sort of take this product and flesh it out completely through a website. We we literally made a full TV commercial, which appears on screen for like a millisecond. It it's it just and and the meta ness of it and the meta ness of them shooting at Pentagram, really, really, it was a, a nice a nice moment. The last question I want to ask you is about a real identity that you are working on. You're currently doing work with Queen Latifah for her new talk show, which is airing this fall. You've created the show Open and the logo. This is one of many, many that you've created over the arc of your career, whether it be for Jimmy Fallon or Saturday Night Live. What's it like to work for a television show? How do you create a show Open? We're in the throes of it right now, so we're doing it. We're not done yet, so I I may have a different answer in a month than I have right now. But so far, it's pretty exciting. The reason that they came to us was the woman who was the executive producer of the show really liked the Saturday Night Live work, the titles from this year. And she sort of posed the challenge of what is the – L.A. daytime version of New York at night. Wow. Um, what is it? It's I don't know. It's 180 degrees from Saturday Night Live. But she liked the sort of sparkle and the way that we were sort of using imagery and slicing it up. And so we're sort of in the process of figuring out what is the opposite of, you know, neon and lights at night in New York is sun flares and glints and the way light refracts off water and the way people, you know, color and brightness. And so we're sort of in the middle of figuring that out right now. And um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of Queen Latifah. I always have been. And I'm, I hope that we, we do her justice. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Emily, you've had an amazing year. This past year has been extraordinary. I can only imagine the greatness that is in store. To learn more about Emily and about Pentagram, visit pentagram.com. I'd like to thank you for listening. And remember, we can talk about making a difference, we can make a difference, or we can do both. I'm Debbie Millman, and I look forward to talking with you again. Design Matters with Debbie Millman is recorded at the Masters in Branding Studio at the School of Visual Arts in New York City. It is produced by Curtis Fox Productions. The show is published exclusively by designobserver.com. You can subscribe to this free podcast in the iTunes Store.